0: Welcome to the show. Today's episode is a great one. Michael Rosmer has been a friend of mine for over three years now. We met in a mastermind group and became fast friends. Stayed that way ever. Stayed that way ever since. Uh, Michael is really, really unique in the sense that his ability to deconstruct things and his critical thinking skills are just off the charts. He's taught me so much. And in this episode, we're covering everything from if you want to start a business, here's the things you need to actually focus on. Here's what you need to know. If you have a business and you want to scale it, we cover that as well. We start off the episode by talking about some projects that Michael's involved in. And at about 12 minutes, we start getting into the how to's. So if you're short for time, just skip right ahead to 12 minutes. Michael is a super interesting character, and he wrote a pretty cool bio that he wanted me to introduce him with. So here goes. The world was blessed the day Michael entered, screaming and, co- and covered in embryonic fluid. From a very early age, it was obvious he wasn't like other children. He terrified babysitters with howling so loud it could be heard from outside the building. His mother probably would have thrown him off the balcony if he wasn't so cute. However, as he grew and turned into a smart, angelic child who always wanted to do the best and encouraged to pursue and was encouraged to pursue a fascination with learning by his retired school teacher grandma. Thus, this started a journey of never-ending self-improvement for Michael and the heart of philosophy, which is, we are here, we might as well shoot for the moon and be, do, and create the absolute best we can. This path of aiming to be the best is what naturally led him to entrepreneurship, which beyond some of his early high school wins, he wasn't so initially successful, which we talk about in the episode here. He was teased a lot as a child for being a teacher's pet, and he struggled with social confidence in spite of having a really good heart and amazing thinking skills. This set him on a journey to do what he's always done, which is understand how entrepreneurship works and build himself into a better person to to create predictable and lasting results in his life. The result has been a crazy life. He's visited nearly 50 countries. Uh, He's doing business in three continents at the moment across 14 companies and many sub ventures in almost a dozen industries, along with learning magic, writing books, and being an all around super cool dude and a great person. He's widely considered to be one of the top experts in the field of international structuring and is currently working on a revolutionary app project he hopes will make life much easier for anyone running a business or working with a team. Above all, this has taught him the power and importance of learning to think well, which he plans to pursue into his hopefully hundreds. Without further ado, please enjoy this wide ranging conversation with Michael Rosmer. Hello and welcome to the InstaFame podcast. My name is Ella May and I'll be your host. I am an Instagram strategist, success coach, and the creator of the InstaFame formula. I am obsessed with helping aspiring entrepreneurs and established brands learn exactly what to do to grow their Instagram account and turn it into a money-making machine. I absolutely love helping you up-level your life, your business, your marketing, and helping you see the infinite potential within yourself to be do, and have anything that you want using Instagram. It is my duty and obsession to give the tools, the resources, strategies, and teachings to help you get the success and lifestyle you're looking for. In this podcast, you're going to hear lots about Instagram and how to use it to its full potential, business building strategies, and how to create a life you absolutely love. Consider this podcast your daily dose of success strategies to maximize your impact, your influence, and your development. I'm gonna make sure you not only know how to get the most out of Instagram, but also that you're making an income from it. Because let's face it, if you're putting time, money, and effort into something, you should be getting a rate of return on it. If you're ready to get your ass kicked to the next level when it comes to killing it in your business and on Instagram, you've come to the right place. Want to make sure you don't miss anything? Be sure to hit the subscribe button. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Now let's begin. Hello again. Welcome to the show. Um, today, I'm so excited to have Michael Rosmer on the podcast. Michael is a good friend of mine and actually he is quite a bit responsible for a lot of the success I've had in my business. He really challenged me when it came to, I would say, kind of critical thinking, helping me see both sides of, you know, of an argument as well as deconstruction. This is one of his superpowers. He's really good at looking at a goal and then backtracking and looking at exactly what you'll need to achieve that goal and whether that's doable. He's also really good at deconstruction of his own life in general. So he can look at the results that he got, see where he went wrong. Like He really takes the time to reflect and I really admire that about him. You might not have heard of him before, but you're really gonna like the value that he has to offer in this podcast and I'm really excited to have him on. Thanks for being here, Michael.
1: You're welcome, you're welcome. It's okay, I don't charge more than, I charge by the minute. So the longer you wanna keep me here, the better.
0: I'll expect my invoice. Perfect. So tell us a little bit about you and your career backstory.
1: Uh, Let's see here. So, I mean, I have a pretty diverse background. I never wanted a job. So my mom would uh, try and get me to take a summer job and I didn't want to until I was kind of forced when my dad started a photo finishing business. So I would basically help my dad out in his businesses. Mm -hmm. And then I was super into computers at a time when people didn't know that much about computers. It was kind of the late nineties. Mm-hmm. And so I started a computer company, partially because I wanted to be able to, you know, get good deals on parts, et cetera, for, you know, my video gaming and stuff like this. Also because I looked up to these billionaires like Bill Gates and Michael Dell and stuff like that. And then partially just because people needed help and they knew that I could could help. And so I got into it. And so I did that uh, for a little while in kind of my small hometown. It was nothing crazy. I was basically, I mean, it was kind of like a self-employment opportunity more than anything else, but it gave me some good opportunities and spoiled me a little bit. Uh, but the thing was that I looked at my dad, my dad has his own business, and he could never take vacations. So I didn't want that. And I said, well, the heck with this. And then that combined with, there was a downside that I had, which was that I had uh uh, really poor social confidence. And so for me, marketing and sales were really hard. I basically, you know, couldn't approach strangers, which is kind of important if you're running a company. Oh. And so I thought, well, you know what, I could go and I could get a job that would be you know, good paying and somebody else would do all that stuff. And then I would just show up and that seemed appealing to me. So I went into commercial diving. You know, people think of it as like underwater welding, but we did non Destructive testing. We did hazardous materials management. We did all kinds of different stuff: chamber operations, dive medicine, etc. And I did that for a while, and then at some point in time, I got into magic. So I was like really interested in. Actually, I really thought that people had magic powers, and I wanted to have them. That was really, really what went on. It's just kind of <laughs> embarrassing. But uh, but as a result, I learned to do card tricks and all this kind of stuff. And I wrote some books on that subject. And somewhere in there, I went on a trip with my family to Europe and I hadn't gone on like a serious vacation in a while and I loved it. And I came back and I wrote this list of all these trips I wanted to take. There was 30 of them. I went on one and at the end, I, my list, instead of going down by one, grew by four. And I did the math. It was like, okay, there's no way working a normal job that I could make enough money and have enough time off to do all the cool trips that I wanted to do. So I had to go into business. And so I started my, my next company, which I knew nothing about, it was recruiting. At the time when it seemed like a good idea, I thought I'd invented the recruiting industry. I'd never heard of it before. Huh? Turns out, didn't. <laughs> and from there, I just kind of like was obsessed about how to make it successful. And so I did a ton of different business. I had a collection agency, I was in the events business, I did an uh, investing business, I owned a spa, I had a company to import products from China and sell them around Canada and the US, uh, a bunch of others too. So lots of lots of different things, mainly with like a focus on learning mm. and somewhere in there that got me into kind of one of my current businesses, I do basically three things right now, and it was international corporate structuring. So this is where we help companies to optimize their tax, basically to how do you use the Box beyond the box that you live in. The box that you live in is your country, and people, you know, think of everything in that terms. But there's a whole world out there, and so what are the opportunities that you can take advantage of that will save you money and make your business easier? And works for some country, for some companies, it can make things a lot better. And for others, you know, if you do it badly, it can do it can cost you a lot. So we specialize in helping people to do that. And yeah, so that's kind of how I eventually transitioned into that over the course of you know, a number of years. And now I have that. I have an app that we're building, which I'm super excited about. That's like my favorite project. And I have a, a company where we sell vehicles around the world, and uh, and then like spin off projects from those.
0: Very cool. Tell us a little bit about the app.
1: So the app is great. Uh, It's the terms that I'm using right now to describe it are connected operations management and a friend of mine who kind of like gets it described it as the Facebook of ERP. So if you're not familiar, ERP is basically what really big companies use to run their whole business with one software. And I got sick of the fact that there's all these different programs that you have. Like I like WhatsApp, so I'm communicating there, but then I'm trying to manage projects in Asana and then I'm scheduling in Google calendars or something, and I'm recording notes in Evernote or OneNote or Keep or something, and then I've got to have a bunch of documents stored in a file structure somewhere, and then I've got an accounting system, and so on and so forth. And so our system does all of it, uh, or is going to eventually do all of it. We're kind of building it out module by module, which is great, because when it's all in one place, it makes it easier. And then the other thing that's really like kind of the magic of it is most software is designed to collaborate within your company and does a really poor job of collaborating outside of your company. So for example, if you're just look at say your accounting system, you keep having, you, like everybody will create their own set of contacts as opposed to that contact being a living, breathing entity that if they update their information, it gets updated on your end and things like this. And so our system is super awesome. It's really like bridges the gap between different companies to help it make it really, really easy to work together. So for example, the idea is, say you had uh, a company that sells some physical product and you get an order. Well, when you make that order, it could trigger something at your supplier that they have to order their parts or initiate their team. And then that could trigger something at their suppliers and all throughout the supply chain, all of that could get set in motion by like a single action at the starting point whereas normally of course that information would have to get passed along and there's opportunities for things to be missed and on and on so yeah it's a really cool app
0: so this would actually take care of everything to do with project management uh accounting like all those moving pieces as well as like product shipping and whatnot is that right
1: well yeah so we'll see what where we get with the say with actual shipping or something but the idea is to be able to do to keep track of everything like all the administration side of your business, right? Being able to make it super easy. The vision long-term is that it could do your tax filings for you. It could calculate your sales tax for you. It could be connected with your renewal of your company. So if you have like an annual corporate renewal thing, certifications that you've got, uh, handling your payroll on and on and on and on, like it could do all that. Oh, there's a cool thing we're building. Won't be under this version, but is uh, agreement builders. So like, If you needed an agreement like an employment agreement or a non-disclosure agreement or a purchase agreement or something like that, it could build it and it could enforce it. So if, for example, you had like a non-compete clause where, okay, if I'm working with you, I'm not allowed to hire one of your employees or something. Uh Well, if you went to hire that person in the system, it would say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not allowed because you have this agreement. Would you like to request to them to override that and they could approve it? And then you would have like actual time and date stamp and who approved it when and all this kind of stuff, but it allows you to enforce these things. It makes contracts super clear where normally like they're kind of a black box for businesses, right? Like small business owners, how are you supposed to know anything about all this legal nonsense? And so yeah, to make all these things super easy.
0: That sounds amazing. If you need beta testers, let me know. I would love to have everything in one place.
1: For sure. For sure. Well, when I've got, uh, version one out, then I will, uh, I will send it to you. We're working on it right now. So I'm hoping by my birthday, that's like my goal mm-hmm. to, uh, have this, but we'll see. It's like a super large amount of work, but I'm also really interested in it because I had this idea earlier on this year, which is, I was just looking at this philosophy of like, okay, what are the skills that you're building today that are going to be valuable in the future? And when I think about it, there's only more software in the world. There's only more automation, et cetera. And in spite of being kind of like a computer technology lover, I have no idea, or had no idea, what does it actually take to build this stuff?
2: Mm. And I
1: thought to myself, if my competitors know how to like apply automation and I don't, they're gonna eat me for lunch.
2: <laughs>
1: and so it behooves you to learn about this today. And so I've spent like the last while just pouring into understanding everything I can about software development and database types and you know how to do these things cheaper and faster and easier and so that we can produce you know really great software and do it affordably and quickly and that can be part of our competitive advantage and hopefully we're going to you know create something that's successful and you know we'll see how that goes
0: so you guys can see what i mean as to how good michael is at deconstruction I think it's one thing that's really made him successful. It actually, what you were just saying, it kind of reminds me of, um, okay, the name is escaping me right now, but the owner of Amazon, Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos, right? It kind of reminds me how Jeff Bezos talks about how he focuses on things that aren't going to change. He's like, you know, everyone's focusing on things that are going to change and being prepared for it. He's like, I know people will never want slow shipping, so I'm going to focus on that. So. That reminds me of it. That's awesome. Well, yeah, keep us updated for sure. And when's your birthday?
1: September 29th.
0: Okay, so we're recording this on August 11th. So you're you're actually on a pretty, like it should be a pretty short time frame for version one.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been working on it for, or we've been working at various levels on it for quite a while. And we'll see, like, you know, right now we're a little bit behind. So, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see. But yeah, that's the goal.
0: I love it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So part of the reason I really wanted to bring Michael on the podcast is that we were having a conversation last week and I was asking him about GST for my business and he was sort of guiding me through some things and one thing he mentioned in the conversation is he's like, I can't believe there's not a resource, a kit, whatever, to help people get this organized when they're starting a company because like, who's a, how are you supposed to know all this stuff? So yeah, what ridiculous. I would, yeah. Right. Like, and, and I was kind of like, uh, cause in my head I was like, should I know this? Like how do people get this set up? And, and so he's always my go-to resource when I don't know how to do something or I'm unsure about a certain process or whatever. So talk to us about the main things anyone starting a business should know. What are the key pillars that you want to have in place or the landmarks or whatever?
1: I mean, that's a, that's an interesting question because you can approach it, I think, from two sides, right? So there's the like, what's quote unquote required and understanding. And I think, you know, this comes a little bit to, I think one of the things we mentioned in our conversation was I was criticizing a little bit the European Union because the European Union has this philosophy. they say, hey, we're trying to promote startups, but at the same time, they have VAT, which is super complex. There's 70 VAT regions. You're supposed to keep track of this. There's all these like fancy rules for how you do it. It's a nonsense. Um, And then they have stuff like GDPR. And if I was getting into business for the first time, I mean, I remember, I don't know what you remember, but I remember the first time I started a company. And I like don't know, do I need a business license? How do I get a business license? How does this work? You know, like, I don't know any of that stuff. And, you know, a friend of mine comments, he's like, Oh, no, no, you can't actually just go and be in business. Like, you have to pay for some the right to be in business and you got to pay for this and do that. And, And so there's all of that stuff right which is you know i think understanding uh how do you operate and understanding things like tax and you know little legal things and the truth is that some of that you can get away without dealing with early on and you probably should like you know i would never advise somebody to go and learn about gdpr if they were getting started in business for the first so time
0: really quick just just so people know what is vat and gdpr just like reader's Digest version.
1: VAT is value added tax. It's like, it's sales tax. So it's the most of the world has VAT Canada and Australia and a few other places have GST. It's basically the same thing. So it's you're adding a certain amount onto the the amount of purchase. And that's basically being paid by the customer. And then you're sending it to the government on behalf of uh, of them. So yeah, that's uh, that's that. And GDPR is the global data protection rules which is a European thing, which basically says that you're not, how it governs how you collect and manage, et cetera, people's personal information. It's supposed to be providing them with more privacy. So when you go to websites and that stupid thing pops up that says, do you accept these cookies? That's GDPR. They
0: like ruined
1: ruined the internet. It's a bunch of garbage. I don't think anybody's actually safer because of it, but the internet is where some lawyers made a lot of money. So
0: Fair enough. Okay, sorry to interrupt. So you were saying how people actually, you know, there's a lot of keys to getting going, but in the beginning, you probably shouldn't do a lot of them.
1: Uh, I mean, like, obviously, I can't advise you not to do them. But I just think that if I was, let's say I was like, gonna start selling my graphic design services, or I was gonna go and, you know, buy some things at garage sales and sell them on eBay. Mm -hmm. Like, To go and learn about that stuff for the few hundred dollars, few thousand dollars that you're dealing with just doesn't make any sense, which is why I'm super critical of the European union on it. Right. Is it it just, it's completely impractical. Like you could spend $10,000 on a lawyer learning what GDPR and you don't have that money. Like, what what are you talking about? It's ridiculous. Mm. So, you know, so I can tell you, like, I think it's worthwhile to understand a few things such as like the basics of business versus personal accounting. And the really basic thing here is just this idea that, hey, when I have a business, I spend pre-tax income instead of after-tax income. And so what does that mean? It means that what you're used to is you have a salary of, let's say you make 50 grand. Okay, you make 50 grand. Now you go and you spend your money on you know groceries, et cetera. Well, you pay tax on the 50 grand and then you spend what's left. That's what a normal like a person is used to. Whereas when you're in business, you bring in, let's say again, the same 50 grand. Now you spend money on your expenses, which reduces your taxable income. So, you know, you pay for your website, you pay for, you know, your cell phone, your internet, your car, whatever it is that you're paying for. And then what's left, you pay tax on. So that's like a really important distinction to understand because your goal should be to keep track of those expenses and to maximize those write-offs so that you pay less tax at the end of the year. So that's like one thing. Uh, as you reach a certain stage, you're supposed to collect sales tax. And this is, you know, uh, the key thing about this that's useful to understand is that when you start collecting sales tax, you also get to claim sales tax. Okay. So if I've been paying, you know, like I go to the store to buy a new computer as an individual, let's say that, you know, I'm in some place where I pay whatever. Say my, say you're in, uh, you're in Alberta, so there's only 5% sales tax. Okay, so you pay... 5% sales tax on that $1,000 computer, it's like the computer costs you $50 more. Whereas if you're a business, then you get to claim that $50 back. So that $50 is what's called an input credit. And basically it reduces, it reduces the amount that you're sending off to the government. So, you know, that's again, really helpful. I had a friend who got into building homes. Nobody told him this. The first year, well, you can imagine he's spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on building materials, mm. and he could claim all that GST back if he knew about it, which he didn't. Right, so not uh, not great for him. So those are like two really basic things in terms of tax and accounting that are probably worthwhile. I get lots of questions from people about, you know, what type of company should I form? Should I form a company? Very. Uh, so you know, the flip is basically the simple answer to it is it will cost you a little bit of money to form a company versus operating as like a sole proprietor, as they call it, which is basically where you are your business. Uh, if you're not making enough money to pay the 400, $500, whatever it is, and it varies by country. Uh, sometimes it's less, it's like 15 pounds if you live in the UK and it's, you know, a few hundred bucks in Canada or the U S and you know, a few thousand in some other places. But if you can't afford to pay that, then it's questionable whether you should be in business at all. And you know, obviously if you can't afford it then don't do it but there is value from a tax standpoint as well as from like a liability protection standpoint it's useful which kind of factors into credit i made this mistake or actually, i inadvertently discovered this uh years ago when something happened i hosted an event and they billed me for some stuff that i wasn't given and so i was like well hang on i wasn't given that and it was this dispute and then they tried to report us to a collection agency And that would have hurt my personal credit, but because it was under my business's name, it didn't affect my personal credit. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, so it's like a little thing to understand about, like, people don't really get this idea that a corporation is a separate legal person, so it has its own credit. It can, in theory, borrow money, it can be sued, it can go bankrupt, and that all can happen independently of you, which Mm. is pretty useful uh, if you know how to use it, and you know, so so it's kind. Of, it's usually worth it for somebody of. You don't have to get too big before it starts to make sense to say, okay, I'll pay the four hundred dollars or whatever it is to form the company, and uh, and be able to do that. So that's another thing. Uh, but then I think about things that are really important from perspective of success, and I think that's to me the more interesting thing because none of the rest really matters if you're not successful, right? Like the truth is, if you're losing money, if it's going to go under, then know, whatever. It uh, it was all kind of for naught. And why did you bother putting in the effort into GDPR or VAT or, you know, setting up a separate company or whatever. And I think there, the things that I don't hear about that are super, super important is number one, like this idea of opportunity. So I hear lots of people like they want to go into, bu- I think a lot of people go into business that shouldn't go into business. And okay. it's not that they shouldn't go into business, it's that they shouldn't go into the business that they go into. Mm. And I think that's, And and what this means to me is really, it's all about the opportunity. And what does the opportunity mean? The opportunity is like, what it's gonna determine how easy it is and how big it can get and how fast it can get there. So this is, is there like a gap in the market? And do you have some advantage that allows you to fill it? That's like the first like just basic starting point. So a lot of people are like, Oh, I have this good idea for this restaurant. And it's like, yeah, but is there a gap in the market for that? And are you really in a position to be able to take advantage of that? Because I've done, done a bunch of businesses where the answer was no, right? Like,
2: mm.
1: like when I went into the spa business, you know, I went into that business because of another business I was in. I bought, uh, I bought half of that company and that was a bad idea. That was not uh, like there just, there wasn't really an opportunity there. There wasn't something that made it obvious and easy to grow. Whereas by contrast, if I was to compare, uh, we went into the payment processing business, uh, with my international structuring company. And so what's the thing there? Well, I already had clients who already had this problem and it was just this really obvious natural extension for me to be able to help them solve that problem. Uh. So there was like an opportunity there and it's hard to fail when you've got a good opportunity like that. And it's hard to succeed when you don't have a good opportunity like that. So, you know it is hard i think like people don't really want to look at that they don't want to be honest or whatever about they like to envision that things are maybe better than they are sometimes but i think it's worth it to find the right opportunity when you're starting and the way that you find that opportunity is you just develop skills and relationships like yeah. as you develop more and more skills and more and more like if i like the advice that i give people is when they're getting started out i'm just like just learn stuff like it doesn't even really matter what it is And just, you know, go and learn. And then that'll start to like take you down a path and you just learn deeper and learn deeper and try and solve people's problems and build relationships. Just like networking. It doesn't, again, at first, it doesn't really matter who you're building relationships with. Just like start and gradually you'll do it more and more precisely with more and more purpose because, you know, you'll start to develop relationships based on, oh, hey, I need to learn this. So, okay, who do I reach out to? Oh, somebody has this problem. All right you know, then they're going to introduce me to some people or I'm going to need something else. Or maybe I can, you find out that somebody needs something and you say, Hey, like you can ask some friends, like, do you need, do you know somebody who can solve this problem? And then you can build relationships that way and it starts to become more purposeful, which is a way better quality relationships. But at first you can't start with that. You just have to start with what you've got. So those things will like opportunities will naturally come out of those two things. And uh, so that's what I always, always suggest to people.
0: Yeah, I totally agree because, well, you know this story, but when I first was like, you know, I really want to work for myself, I kind of dug around and, you know, talked to some people about my skill sets and I wanted, and I figured out I would probably be pretty good as a copywriter. I was good at Mm -hmm. sales. I was good at writing. I was going to put the two together. So I had some freelance copy clients and Instagram was like my little pet project on the side. I was trying to grow my Instagram. I never thought Instagram would be part of my business. But what started yep. to happen was people were like, yeah, yeah, we want our sales page, but like how did you do this Instagram thing? And I was like, mm-hmm. well, I don't know, like it works on my account, I guess we can try it on yours. But that's a really yep. good example of what Michael's saying, which is basically just, start, you know, kind of take an assessment of your skill set, ask some people close to you who are gonna tell you the truth, you know, hey, what do you think I'm really good at, whatever. Start learning yep. about that and reaching out to people who have struggled with that, done it, whatever. And as it yep. progresses, it'll kind of naturally turn into its own little entity. Um, and a lot of the time, these things are really not planned. Like a lot of our big no, events enough. in life are really unplanned. There's no, you know, goal setting about them. They kind of just show up.
1: Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like that fooled by randomness thing where, you know, random events end up being the most significant events in our life. Like how we meet our partner. What you know some sort of business opportunity comes out and you just have to be like willing to follow it when it's there. Uh Say, "Oh, here's an opportunity. So let's run with it and not really be worried about like a good friend of mine. He's done a bunch of businesses fairly successfully. And I remember him talking about, he was working at some veterinarian clinic and they had some company come in and clean their computers. This was in the eighties. And he thought, you know, there's probably a bunch of other places that could use this computer cleaning thing. So he came up with a name, printed some business cards, went down to a mall, and started walking into businesses. And the first place he walked into was this glasses shop, where, as he said, there was dust everywhere. And he thought, if anyone's going to need computer cleaning, it's these guys. So he's like, hey, we're CompuClean. You know, here we do computer cleaning. Do you need that? And I'm like, well, we don't have computers, but can you clean telephones? And he was like, absolutely. I had no idea, right? That's no idea. But <laughs> He's at least allowing himself to follow this opportunity, which is, hey, there's demand there. (laughs) And then he was smart enough, he was a good enough salesman to say, he's like, we're booked up for the next three weeks solid, uh, but we can get you in three weeks from now and we will do service contracts. So he signed them up on a service contract. No idea how to fulfill on this, but he has three weeks to figure it out now. And continued pretended to walk through this mall, going and meeting people. By the end of the day, he had like three or five clients. He called up some friends of his from the university in the computer department. We're like, hey, you clean computers? They're like, yeah, it's a cinch. He's like, great, then we're in business.
2: And <laughs> that was
1: like, and then he was, that like progressed. He was at a trade show and somebody came up and they're like, hey, do you guys sell franchises? He was like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, not at all, right? But he just like went with it and figured it out. And as a result, this competency develops. And I see a lot of people who are afraid to do that, right? They're just like, the not knowing holds them back. I think it's a huge, huge problem. Is like, you have to learn to deal with not knowing, which is like, hey, if I don't know, that's okay. I'm willing to tackle it and I'll figure it out. And then you just get good at, oh, I don't know this. Okay. So what do I do? I figure it out. How do I figure it out? Well, I look it up or I ask somebody who does know, look for somebody who knows. And, you know, pour myself into it. And eventually I'll develop some competency. And some of these things are not going to pay off and that's fine. But gradually some of them will. And the ones that do will more than pay for the effort put into all the others.
0: Totally. Yeah. It reminds me of one of my, one of my coaches a while back was saying, he's like, Ella, you just need to like, let the client throw the football and be confident enough that you can run to catch it without knowing where it's going. Like you have to, and that's a huge thing is a lot of people really doubt themselves and will hold back on income opportunities because they don't have something figured out yet. Um, as opposed to just hitting the ground running, um, giving the client, give themselves a week or so timeline and, uh, and really just, you know, get resourceful and, and go where it leads them.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Okay, so you you don't really do coaching as part of your, you know, business model or whatever, but you have done quite a bit of coaching with entrepreneurs. So, Yeah, I mean, what, fair bit. Yeah, yeah, I would say you have. Every honestly every time I talk to Michael, it's like a it, it ends up being like a coaching call. <laughs> it's really fun. <laughs> it's true. So, talk to us a little bit about the patterns that you see with entrepreneurs that tend to do well, and what do you you see that are the main roadblocks with entrepreneurs that struggle, or the main tendencies, or whatever?
1: So, I mean, the thing that, the first thing, let's talk about the success one.
0: Sure.
1: Number one is like a good opportunity. So, and I see this this for existing people who have success, and I see it for uh, people who are just getting started as a problem, because I think that it's not like, I think there's two things that are super, super critical that I don't hear people talking about, which is to me, the most important things to focus on are the things that people aren't talking about because of other people talking about the other ones. So this thing about opportunity is really, really important. And one example uh, of where I see it as a problem is I'll see friends who they built a successful company. They're like making whatever half a million dollars a year. And they're like, but it's not their, in their words, their private jet money, right? They're like, I want my jet. But their solution is to go and start another of what they've got before. And that's really not very smart because that's, they're just going to repeat what they've already got, which isn't going to get them to the next level. And where that comes from is the opportunity, like opportunities have a certain scale to them. Mm. So contrary to what some people might like to teach themselves, you know, if for example, you've got a cleaning company. That cleaning company is basically never gonna be, you're lucky if you could build it to a million dollar company. Very unlikely that you could build it to a million dollar company. Highly, highly unlikely you'll build it to a $10 million company. And that's just due to the fundamental dynamics of it, which no person could get into. Whereas there's other things that are big opportunities. So for example, if you were to look at my app, my app is like a binary thing. It could be nothing or it could be really big. Mm. Uh, if I look at my international structuring business, it'll probably never be bigger than an eight figure business. It's just the nature of that type of business that it just doesn't have the potential. It could never be a billion dollar company.
2: It's right.
1: basically, and somebody might say, oh, it's living in belief. It's, it's like, there's just dynamics there. Like, for example, you're not going to exceed the market size. So if you're selling to a friend of mine has a company that moves bodies, uh, in a province and there's only so many people who die, right. Right. So that's.
0: Wait, hold on. I got I to gotta ask about this. Moves, moves bodies.
1: Yeah. So when people die, they're the ones who go and pick up the body and take it to the morgue or the funeral home or wherever okay. it is that it needs to go.
0: Dead body. So. It totally sounded like you were talking about human trafficking. I was like, whoa. <laughs> no, who no, is this no, no. friend? Okay. <laughs> okay. So you were saying you have a friend who moves deceased bodies.
1: Yes. Yes. deceased And so the thing is, he can only ever, like there's only that many people, right? That's okay. it. And this is part of the reason why you see the clothing companies that make the most money aren't the ones that are the high-end clothers. Like Zara makes way more money than Gucci. Mm. Why? Because there's only so many people who can buy Gucci. There's Mm. a ton of people who can buy Zara. That's just the nature of it. Now, if you were to go into the clothing business today, you know, for the most part, you have a ton of competition. So unless you have like some distinct advantage, like for example, when uh, Chip Wilson went into Lululemon, he's opening up something that wasn't there before, right? So there's a big potential market because you're not already competing for existing market space. So that's, you know, what is it? They call, uh, uh, what was that apparel they called? Which one? Anyway, uh, you know, like athletic sort of wear.
0: American Uh, apparel or Lululemon?
1: No, no. Well, yeah, it's like a category of fashion, whatever they call it. Anyway, it's all, all good. Anyway. So like the opportunity determines a lot. And you should pay a lot of attention to the opportunity and learn to get better at identifying opportunities. And you unfortunately can't sit. Like the way that opportunities work is like surfing. So you can't sit on the side and look for the waves and be like, oh, I'm going to catch that one because it's too late. So you have to be in the water sitting there amid the waves so that when the big wave comes, you can jump on and ride it. That's Mm. what you have to do. So That's one thing. The second thing I think that kind of goes along with it and is really, I'm going to talk specifically about like, not just so much people who are successful, but people who are successful fast at an early, or they're successful fast. Mm -hmm. Because when I started to go out there, I was told like, oh, hey, spend your time with like millionaires. And I found that for the most part, those people were not very good business people. And you actually couldn't get nearly as much benefit from them as I was led to believe. And the reason was, usually they were either lucky or they'd been in it for a long time. Like if you just grind it out for 20, 30 years, you're probably going to build something reasonable. It's just the nature of kind of compounding. You can compound at 5% a year and you'll get there. But for me, I was always interested in like, how do you go from nothing to something big quite quickly, right? Mm. And to do that, you have to like learn to hack the shit out of it. Like, you do not do what everybody else is doing. So all the traditional ways are generally not what you do. Like, the people who are really successful, they find, like, some gap, some, like, glitch in the matrix, and they learn to run with it. So be it Instagram, like, you'll see, look, Rihanna is one of the richest celebrities in the world today, and she, yeah, a few years ago, she was basically broke. How come that is? It's because of Instagram largely, right? She had this Instagram following that she was able to capitalize on. Same thing with Kylie Jenner. Like you have this girl who, you know, is one of the youngest, arguably a billionaire or in that range. Yeah. And where does that mostly come from? It mostly comes from Instagram. Why couldn't she do that before? Because she would have had to pay to reach whatever she's got. Let's say it's 120, 140 million people or something. Every time you did an ad, that reached 140 million people would cost you a fortune. It was so expensive to do that. And now she does it virtually for free. So, But the problem is that opportunity is like this limited opportunity. If you wait, then 10 years from now, or heck, even today, it's way harder to do Instagram than it was when she started. So when I look at my friends who have done really well as an example, they'll have found some glitch, right? There's something that you don't see, that you don't get, that you don't understand. They're not doing it the traditional way because the traditional way has this like way of equalizing. Like that's what markets do. Markets equalize things. It's like when there's too much uh, profit, then more people come in and that drives the costs up, which makes it less profitable. And then you need to go on to the next thing. And if you've already got the momentum, you're okay. But if you haven't, then you're not okay. So, You generally want to find all these little hacks. You want to like, you know, friends of mine talked about when they were getting traffic almost for free on Facebook, when Facebook was new to advertise on, Uh, they did something called cloaking so they could break Google and Facebook's rules uh, for advertising so that they could do way better on Google and Facebook than they normally could. They could, you know, a bunch of things like this, that gave them an advantage and nobody's talking about it. Nobody's like sitting there selling Hey, you know what you have to do? You have to hack the shit out of this stuff. Like find the glitches in the matrix, whatever those are, find ways to get your costs way lower, to reach people way faster. Like Airbnb. Uh, I think Airbnb, one of the things they would do was message, uh, rental groups on, uh, like, uh, Craigslist and Kijiji or something like that. Similar thing, some of the big dating sites like spammed people basically on some of these. Like there's these growth hacking tactics that nobody's teaching you. It's impossible to learn it in university because by the time you learn it, it's already outdated. It will not last, but there's always new ones coming up. And you've like got to go find those. And if you don't, you can make a living, but you're not gonna like make a fortune fast. It's just not gonna happen.
0: So I really like these. So the first one is be ready for opportunities and roll with it. And in
1: well, and, and particular, get good opportunities, right? Like right. understand that the quality of an opportunity matters a lot. There's a lot of bad opportunities out there. Right. And you know, so yeah, and, and that's just going to come with practice. You're going to so, yeah, if you, so if you just roll with the opportunities, eventually you'll find, oh, here's a good one, here's a bad one. And you'll learn from that.
0: Okay, so with your experience, how do you know if an opportunity is good? What are, what's your criteria?
1: I mean, my criteria is basically that, okay, so a few things for me that are maybe a little bit different than for somebody else. But so number one, I'm looking at like, is there a need that's not being met? So mm. like people are crying out like, hey, I wish I had this, right? I'm having problems here. So like, again, looking at for us with payment processing, you could look at people who are getting banned from Stripe. Or Stripe isn't in their country. That's like okay. I'm talking to lots of people who have that problem, and they don't really know how to get a solution. And so we're like, hey, no problems. You don't need Stripe. We can help you. So that's you know number one. Uh, number two is hey, you actually have the ability to deliver on that because there's a big difference between hey, there's an opportunity there, mm-hmm. and hey, I can deliver on this. There's a bunch of things that I see where it's like hey, this is a good opportunity. I think there's a good opportunity. In uh, using hydrogen power right now, uh, but it's not something that I can execute on right like I don't have the resources I don't have the knowledge I don't have the contacts I don't have all this stuff to be able to do something about it so it's not really an opportunity for me even though it's a gap in the market uh, so that's the first part these or the first two parts I guess is you know can you do this too the third thing for me that I put as like kind of a qualifier which for me matters is is it like next level so I'm not interested in six and seven figure opportunities because I already have six and seven figure opportunities. So, for me, if it's not at least an eight figure opportunity, it's not worth looking at. And so, for example, a uh, business partner of mine sent me an opportunity the other day, which is with Airbnb. And so, basically, the idea is you go and you get a bunch of houses under contract. You don't actually buy them, you're just uh, signing long term leases with them or something. And then you re rent them out on Airbnb and you get double the rent that you would have normally. You plan on kind of automating this process as much as possible, hiring it out. And this is a reasonable opportunity for somebody to make five to six figures is a pretty decent opportunity for a lot of people today. You could go and you could do that uh, fairly easily. And if you pushed it hard, when we ran the numbers, you could probably make about half a million dollars a year if you worked it really hard uh, today. So that's an opportunity, but it's not an opportunity that I'm going to do anything about because it's not an eight figure opportunity. It's like a six figure opportunity ish, right? Maybe you could get it to low seven figures. So, so for me, I'm like, okay, I want like eight and nine figure opportunities. And I have another mm. client who that's their comment. They're like, Hey, if a business isn't going to do it, if it's not a hundred million dollar business opportunity. We're not interested. If it nets half a million dollars a year, we're shutting it down because we've got a business that does, you know, eight figures. So why would we go and look for something else that does eight figures when we could just work on what we've already got? But it's only worth doing something new if it's going to take us to the next level. And so that's kind of, that's my, my criteria. And you won't really know that well, the answers to some of those questions until you've been in it a bit, right? Like when I started, my parents wanted me, when I did my computer company, my parents wanted me to write a business plan and it was useless because I knew nothing about business. Right. right? So. It didn't make any sense to me. It's like you have to go out there and just experience it and make some mistakes and realize that you're going to make some mistakes. But so, and so that opportunity piece, I guess you could fit, you could apply your own criteria. I'm saying eight and nine figures, but if I was in somebody else's place, I would tell them like, what are your goals? So here's an example. Maybe your goal is location independence. Well, a bunch of businesses aren't going to give you location independence. If you have a retail store, kiss of location independence, goodbye. Like, it's not going to happen. You're not going to get that from a restaurant. You're probably not going to get it from a food delivery service.
0: So when you say location independence, what do you mean by that?
1: You can work from anywhere. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And to me, like, I think a lot of people, if they don't have it, they would value it if they did have it. And pretty much everybody that I know who has it values it. Like, more than time Mm -hmm. freedom, location freedom is so great. It's, like, it's amazing. You have to do something with your time, so... You know, I used to pursue time freedom. I care a lot less about that now. But for me anyway, location freedom is a really big thing. So people will say, "Oh, I want to be on the beach working. Okay, well, only certain opportunities will allow you to be on the beach working. It's mm-hmm. just the nature of the opportunity. So, you know, what does that look like? And then where are you at? Like in this thing that uh, this friend of mine sent me about the Airbnb thing, they were talking about, you know, some retired person who made $3,500 a month. and That was great for them. You know, so great. If that's kind of what you're looking for. If you're looking for, Hey, how do I make some income that separates me from my job or gives me an extra $50,000 a year? That could be a great opportunity for you. You know? So it's not, everybody has their own criteria. You just have to learn to match the opportunities to the criteria. And the good news is the lower your threshold there, you know, the more opportunities there are. So if your goal is like, Hey, I want to make five figures a year, uh, on the side or like without having to have a boss, there's lots of ways you can do that. Six figures. There's still lots of ways. Seven figures. It's getting harder. Eight figures. It's much harder, you know, and so on.
0: Mm -hmm. So you can, you can all see what I mean about how good Michael is at deconstructing and critical thinking. So I really like what you're saying though, is like for the first one is opportunity. And the second one is essentially uh, hacking a process, So this is like, and this is one thing that I think, I think comes a lot from just whatever you're interested in. Like for me, I was just interested in building an Instagram following. So I did all the things people told me to do. I posted three times a day. I put a theme, a color filter and a certain aesthetic on my grid. I gave my account a theme. So I talked mainly about fitness. And then I realized that if anything, I lost followers, nothing happened. So I'm like, okay, there's something in here that's not being talked about that actually grows an account. But it wasn't like I was like, I'm going to do this and figure it out and then, you know, create this fame formula and make money off of it. It was like, I'm genuinely just interested in how to figure this out. So yeah. I, I think with that stuff, it's like, you know, just like be aware of what you're drawn towards and then just get excited about learning it and get really curious as opposed to frustrated. <laughs> That's a very different. Yeah. Those are two very different sides of the same coin, I find.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you're at a level of business where, like you said, you're looking for eight figure opportunities. You've already created seven figure businesses. For someone who's just starting out, or maybe, you know, maybe has been going for a little bit, but is still kind of in that up and down phase with their revenue, what are some key tips you would have for anyone looking to create a six figure income? Uh, for someone who's like just starting kind of with their idea or someone who's been, you know, up to someone who's been in business like two years, but still up and down.
1: I mean, that's a good question because I think it varies a little bit by what the challenges are. Right. So for me, one of the challenges was just marketing, right. Which I think a lot of people can relate to a lot of people say, Hey, I've got the skill, but how do I get the customers? Right. Mm. That's a a big problem that I think a lot of people in that phase have. And I think generally, you're not going to get to that level until you solve that problem, right? You're not going to, it's just not going to go that well for you. And so then in that case, it starts to say, okay, well, how do you hack that process, right? Uh What can you do in that regard? And usually I find that people in that situation are also in a case where they don't want to spend a lot of money because they don't have a lot of money. Right. So whereas when you get to, when you're making six or seven figures, okay, you'll try stuff with paid advertising or something, right? And you can still do that. On the, the good news is things like Google and Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram, things like this, you can test, you know, a few hundred dollars and see how it works, and that's pretty cool because, you know, it was really hard to do that back in the day with newspapers or something, right? Totally. That being said, uh, I think that the big thing that comes in is – You've basically got three ways to get out there to people. The one way is you for it, right? Which is perfectly legitimate. The second is you get people talking about it. There's some virality. Or the third is you have networks of people where you're kind of like getting exposure and joint venture and stuff through them. But when you're getting started, I think that third one is really, really important. Like okay. Going and out and building you? some of these relations. Yeah, it's not not so much just networking. It's the idea that you're networking in such a way that it's designed to expand your reach. Mm. So, for example, people on Instagram, what I always tell them is I'm like, look, the best way to get exposure is to do some things with people who have followings already and get exposed to their followings. That's kind of what you can do that will help to expand your reach, Right. If I was talking to a musician, would be like, okay, find some people who already have followings and go and do some stuff with them. Promote them, they promote you, et cetera, because neither of you probably have the budget to go and do something put together. You can get a much bigger exposure. And that's true for a lot of different businesses. I think you're just actively, and a bunch of them won't pay off, right? A bunch of them, you'll have a bunch of people who aren't going to bring you anything, but you can get enough to get some momentum. And then it's kind of a warm introduction. It's an easier sale. It's you know stuff like this. So, I tend to believe that's a good early way. uh, In addition to okay, in in some fields, uh, testing some sort of paid advertising can be really useful. So that's like one thing to get uh, to get stable because you have to figure out a way of consistently bringing in new customers, which is hard, right? It's something that it's a challenge for most people because it's not what they were trained on. They were trained on doing whatever it is that they do.
0: Totally. And I really like that. And like one, you know, one area where this really helped me. And for example, with you, if you're still working a job right now and you are interested in becoming an entrepreneur, instead of quitting your job right away, just start getting around other entrepreneurs. Like when mm-hmm. I was still working a job, I was like, okay, I know I want to work for myself at some point. So I joined a couple mastermind groups. That's where I met Michael in a mastermind group. Uh, I started listening to a bunch of podcasts and without knowing it, I was making these connections with people a lot further ahead than me that massively helped me once I had my business afloat and it was, you know, my offering was clear. Uh, It allowed me to get in front of their audience. It allowed me to meet people like Michael who helped me dissect my ideas and really make sure I was on track. So I think, I think that's one of the biggest things that catapulted my success was just the fact that I was, in, like, I just took the initiative to get, like, to build relationships with entrepreneurs, so just interested in it, before cool. actually launching anything, and it's, yeah, for sure, yeah, and it's one thing that I coach, like, I coach people on all the time, when it comes to Instagram, I'll work with businesses, and they're like, hey, we really want to take it to the next level, and it's like, well, then you've got to get in front of a wider audience, so find who's doing podcasts about your topic, like, find out yep. who has your audience, connect with yep. them, and find you know find a way to get in front of their audience and offer a ton of value and just just keep doing that and like you said it's probably one of the best rate of returns you'll ever get um i find way more so than any type of online paid advertising
1: yeah especially when you don't have the money to spend on paid advertising right like the downside of it is it's not predictable so it's hard to scale it the same way you don't Mm. know like oh hey how much is this person going to bring me whereas when you get paid advertising refined, you can scale it up by increasing your spend. Um, but that's not a, and you, it's much harder to do that. Also, it's good when you have time, but you don't have money. When you have money, but you don't have time, you can't spend the time to go out and build these relationships as much. So you know, it's easier to just spend money at that point in time. But yeah, early on, I think it's. The smartest thing you can do and some people might say like oh I don't like that I'm not comfortable well you're gonna have to get comfortable with it it's <laughs> <kind> of, <laughs> just the way that it goes so.
0: yeah yeah for sure no I like and that's actually something you said to me very early on in our friendship is we're always told that time is our greatest asset but it's like if you have a lot of time and no money then time is probably you know it's it's not as important as using it to go create income. Whereas yeah. vice versa, then then your time is much more valuable because you don't have as much of it. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. I like that distinction because it's something that people don't really talk about. And it's always like your time is your most valuable asset. And it's like, well, yeah, but if you have a ton of it, then I don't know. <laughs> Spend it yeah, doing it's You trade what yourself. you
1: have for what you don't have. That's yeah. what you
0: do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay, cool. So... I, yeah, so I really, really like how you touched on, especially with the networking. Um, like that's definitely one of the biggest things I think that's helped a lot of people. One, okay. So one thing you've talked about is how you struggled with marketing and most, and most people struggle with this, right. Yeah. Is, is getting in front of people. So let's just talk yeah. about your journey for a minute. What worked for you to overcome that struggle of just going out and finding the people that needed your help?
1: I mean, I think there's a few parts to that problem, right? Because one of the problems is just, hey, how do I find those people? This is like, you know, actually more of a challenge sometimes than we might think. Totally. Um, So, you know, in that understanding well who your customer is, uh, helped a lot. And when you understand that, then all of a sudden it opens up a lot of doors. And what you kind of have to realize is that figuring out who your customer is, is going to take some testing. It's Mm. just, you're going to have to go out and you're going to have to talk to some people. You're going to have to do some test marketing and what you think is very often not true.
0: Can we, can we take a tangible example here and have you explain it?
1: Uh, Sure. So I, at one point in time, hired a salesperson for my recruiting company. Okay. And, so, we hadn't really very well defined our target market at the time. We were kind of going based on a little bit of random people coming in, mostly from networking. And so, I happened to throw out the idea of, hey, like trucking companies, you know, because I'd known somebody else who had happened to be in contract with a trucking company. And so, anyway, he called a bunch of trucking companies, and it turned out trucking companies were not a good target market. <laughs> uh, we had tried also hotels, kind of something similar. And we thought, hey, because all these hotels are advertising for people, they can't get people, they're going to be a good customer. But it turned out they weren't really willing to pay for it. Right? So those were some examples where we had a theory and turned out not to work so well. Hmm. So ended up later finding out that engineers were a great one and salespeople were a great one and there's a few others. So those would be you know, some examples of where we had theories and we go out once we put enough stuff into the market now the challenge with that which you know you have to work at the same time is maybe it's just that your message isn't landing like maybe how you're communicating or what you're communicating isn't really what's making people get excited and that's your problem that's what the breakdown is so you also have to simultaneously be trying to figure out like what's compelling what really speaks to them mm-hmm. and this is usually not as fancy as people would maybe tell you. So I'll give you a tangible example about that. So when we found uh, that engineers were a great, uh, oh, a great hold on, hold on, hold on, for us in my recruiting company.
0: Hold on one sec. That last part just cut out. Can you start at uh, when when we found some engineers? Uh,
1: yeah. So so when we found out that engineers were a good. Uh, Target market or whatever, for the recruiting company, what we discovered was that most of the companies trying to go after these people didn't understand the nuances of like really specific areas of engineering. So for example, uh, I discovered that there was a shortage of and a hard time getting mechanical engineers who specialized in commercial and institutional building services. So what was happening with a lot of our competitors is they were like, oh, an in- a mechanical engineer. Send them in. And they were specialists in industrial or they weren't a in building services or something like this. And it was just super frustrating to all the companies. So all I had to communicate was I'd be like, hey, we have a candidate here who specializes in you know, 15 years of experience doing commercial and institutional building services. Would you be interested in looking at them? And I remember specifically sitting down with the HR director of the largest engineering company in the city at the time. And she was like, Hey, look, like we don't take on new and new recruiting companies, but you said the magic words. And so, okay, we're here. And there was like a few times like that where we would find all you had to do was like really communicate very precisely to their needs in a way that, uh, Other people just, like, didn't know how to do. Mm. So other people were kind of, like, generic about it, or other people just didn't get, like, their core frustration. And unfortunately, that takes some effort. Uh, Another one that we had found was we'd found uh, geotechnical engineers who had permafrost experience. And I remember I'd hired a friend to go and contact a bunch of the companies that we were interested in having as clients and interview them to find out, like, what they would need and what it would take for them. And they happened to mention, they're like, hey, look, you know, this one – uh, company eba engineering like look we work with 20 recruiting companies and we don't you know they're mostly trash uh we don't we're not really interested in others but if somebody had this then we would work with them and so that was what we did but if you didn't know to communicate to that pain point really precisely and it wasn't to, you couldn't just be like oh hey we have engineers or oh hey we have geotechnical engineers. It's like specifically geotechnical engineers with permafrost experience. That was like one very specific example. But that type of thing in, uh, uh, in this situation made all the difference. So, you know, you've got to, again, that takes some experimentation. That takes getting curious about your uh, customer, et cetera.
0: So looking back, do you wish that you did a little bit more testing before hiring that sales guy? Or were you, were you happy you onboarded him when you did
1: I mean, you know, so it turned out it didn't work out with him, um, and I didn't know a lot of things at the time about it, but I'm I'm relatively happy to have had him go and, you know, bring on that lesson, right? Mm. Because the truth is, I wasn't going to go and do that. Like, I found that for me, it made a really big difference to hire out my weaknesses, because those weaknesses were mentally holding me back, right? Like, I would just get stalled out because I had mental issues, mental emotional issues with doing something, whereas I could just pay somebody to do it. And it wasn't so much that they would do intrinsically like better than me or that I couldn't do it or something like that, but it was just that I just wouldn't do it. And so these things at least that were important to get done were getting done uh, because I was paying somebody to do it.
0: Okay. I love this. Okay. So I have one more question for you, then we're going to wrap it up because there has been so much value and I feel like someone could listen to this 10 times and take something new from it every time.
1: So well, hopefully they do. My voice is great.
0: <laughs> My name's Michael. I'm the best. He is the best.
1: And, and humble and humble. And super humble. That.
0: Okay. So the, like, I just want to touch on one more thing. And it's something you mentioned there, which is hiring out your weaknesses. So, so much of the time, it's preached in the entrepreneurial world. If you don't have the money to hire someone, it's because you haven't hired someone. You haven't hired a team. However, for someone starting and they generally don't have the money, like what would you say is the best course of action there? Because uh, anyone, who, any entrepreneur has way more than they can do. And if you don't have way more than you can do right now, then you're not in business. Because anyone who's going has way more to handle than they can do. However, it can be really scary bringing someone on, even if it's a virtual assistant that you're paying, you know, much less than you would someone in your country uh, because you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be able to pay them every, you know, every two weeks or every month incomes up and down. So what would you recommend? What's your course of action that you recommend there?
1: I mean, I think it's a combination of things. So one of the things, of course, is, you know, minimize your risk, right? It's all nice and good to hear Robert Kiyosaki or whoever say, oh, you know, hire people who are smarter than you and blah, blah, blah. It's like those are often expensive people and you often just can't afford them. And I've oh. heard people who are selling their services say, oh, hey, well, you know, I'm worth it because I do this. And it's like, well, you're not worth it. Worth it, you know, requires that you have a scale to exploit the value that you bring. So it's not actually worth it to hire an expensive branding person. Uh if you're a really small business, like it's just not the stage that you're at. So part of it I think is uh, reducing that risk, which is partially by reducing your costs, which it helps a lot to to hire people abroad. So we help clients do this. We'll help them to hire people in where they can get high quality people for low cost and get them part time, which I think goes a long way. It's like the early, some of my early success hiring people was hiring people part time. For relatively low wages, they were still Canadians, and so you know, not super low, but you know, not uh, not insanely expensive either. So I think that's one thing. I think another thing is really understanding. Like a friend of mine once said, you know, one of the things that will happen is people will outsource things that the business shouldn't be doing at all. And I think there's a lot of truth to that as well, of like really understanding what's critical to you. Which partially has to, you know, you and I have talked about this as like a core philosophy to me in building companies is like, what stage are you at? What is it that you need right now? And focus on that
2: because mm. you spend
1: a lot of money on things that are kind of fruitless and aren't moving you forward, and that's uh, that's a bit of an issue. And that's, then, so,
0: uh, that's so true. Yeah, sorry, I want to interrupt you. Go ahead.
1: Sure. Yeah, I mean so so that's a that's a really key thing and you know we could get into a whole conversation about stages and what stage you're at and all this. Uh but then I think the third thing is generally speaking, you should have enough cash flow to cover a certain you know, the rule of thumb that I was once told was you have to be able to pay for half of their wage and then expect that they'll create the second half of their wage in value. Mm. And you know, if you're not at that stage then you're really probably not ready to hire. And you know, you should probably go and but It might be that the way you generate that cash flow is through some other venture on the side, right? Like you might be, I'm a big advocate that people should start a business when they still have a job and it should be a side thing because it's super risky to quit a job, to go and start a business. I did that. It was very dumb. I would not recommend that I, you know, to my old self to go and do that again. I could go back and do it again. I would say, hey, at least maintain a part-time job so that at least there's some income coming in while getting this new thing going because there will be a learning curve and the learning curve is expensive. Somebody's going to pay it. It's going to be you. And you know, it's, uh, it's not great. So anytime that you can find ways of extending that, I guess maybe I'll end this this as kind of this last point. There's like this concept of runway when you're early on in business, which is if you just think about a plane going on the runway until it takes off and if it gets to the end of the runway, it hasn't taken off. It crashes. That's very bad. And a lot of not enough attention is given to a lot of success in business comes from having enough runway, being able to go through that learning curve. Uh, Steve Jobs made this comment about just being able to stay in the game is a big, big thing. I'm a huge fan of Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. You know, they have a really good track record. But the truth is they kind of got lucky on their first deal. And then that set them up with enough runway that they could make a lot of mistakes that other people would have gone bankrupt. Like Steve jobs would have gone bankrupt in Pixar or in next Elon Musk would have gone bankrupt in Tesla or SpaceX. If they didn't have a huge bankroll from previous successes that they could ride on that allowed them to persevere longer than other people did. And so you should be thinking that way yourself. You should be like, Hey, look, I want to extend my runway as far as possible knowing that, if, given the time, I can make it successful. Given the time, being able to pivot and adjust your course and things and learn, you will be successful. That's not a question. The question is, are you set up so that you can last that long? And so, you know, you want to. One of the things to do to extend that is to maintain some sort of income from elsewhere, so you're not reliant on this ever, you know, reducing supply of cash, your savings or your credit or whatever um hoping that you're going to make a deal happen so that you can afford to pay the rent because otherwise you're going to have to quit your business and go back and get a full-time job and now you're in a much more difficult situation.
0: Yeah, and I I really like I think it's going to relate to a lot of people's situations what you said about really just focusing on what you need at the time because it can be so easy like especially when you're first starting. It can be like doing the hard work, which is figuring out your clientele, getting in touch with them, putting yourself out there. That's really difficult. Um, not yep. necessarily the like, exact process of doing it, but just kind of having the guts to do it. So a lot of the yep. time I see people like, oh no, I'm, I'm rebranding or I'm redoing my website or I'm doing my, like all this stuff. It's like, okay, cool. But you don't have customers yet. And so, yep. having something, having like a really simple WordPress website and a logo you got on tailormadelogos.com or whatever, that's fine in the beginning. And then get the client totally. base, and then get pretty, you know. But yep. I see that, exactly. a lo- yeah, I see that a lot where there's so much out there saying you need this, this, and this, and it's like no. You basically need to be able to be found, to be able to book yep. an appointment, and be able to charge your clients. And yep. depending on your business, right? Okay. Yep this has been amazing thank you so much it has been so valuable you guys can see what i mean about michael he's so his knowledge is so vast because he's genuinely really interested in a lot of things and he spends a lot of time learning about them so we're going to end with some rapid fire questions um hey. so what is the best thing you've bought lately that's under a hundred dollars
1: best thing i bought lately that's under a hundred dollars oh good question uh ooh. I mean, I didn't buy it lately, but uh, but I have it and I've been using it, which is this roller thing I was mentioning with you before. Uh, so either a foam roller or uh, this rubs little ball, ball thing for releasing muscle tension.
0: Mm, that makes sense with all your traveling. It, like, it can get painful on the body.
1: Super painful. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
0: Okay. Yeah. If you could have dinner with anyone, real or fictional, dead or alive, who would you have dinner with?
1: Oh, goodness. Um, There's a lot. You know, I've always said Jesus because I really want to know if he actually could perform miracles. Uh, (laughs) I'd probably like to have dinner with Bill Gates. I think that would be pretty cool. I really appreciate how he thinks. Uh, So those would be, you know, too high up on the list.
0: I love it. One of my friends the other day, we were talking about Catholic religion. And he was like, you know, I'm not really sure if Jesus ever existed. And I was like, why? And he's like, think about it. He was a carpenter and a miracle worker. A miracle worker and a carpenter. He's like, does one of these skills seem less valuable than the other? (laughs) He's like, does anybody have a table made by Jesus that they can show me? (laughs) It was really funny. Um, Okay, and last question. What is, this is going to be a big one for Michael because he's a big movie buff. What's your favorite movie? The Last Samurai. Oh, easy. Okay, I thought there'd be more deliberation on that.
1: No, no. I love The Last Samurai. It's a great movie. Best movie ever.
0: I love it. Okay, cool. If people want to learn more, get in touch with you, where can they reach you?
1: Uh, Probably Facebook.
0: Facebook? And what's what's it under?
1: Uh, Michael Bruce Rosmer.
0: Awesome. So I'll put that link below. And thank you so much for being here. I'm sure we'll talk soon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much.
0: My pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you aren't already following me on social media, come soak up some extra knowledge on Instagram by searching at ella.j.may. If you absolutely love what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and share your thoughts with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the good stuff coming or visit my website at ella.jmay.com. I love and adore you so much and can't wait to connect with you in the next episode. In the meantime, go out
2: there and kill it on Instagram.